The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning. My name is Zane. I am one of the pastors here. And like John said earlier, we are so glad that you are here with us this morning. And I want to share a little bit of trivia about myself, a little bit of about me section of the sermon, I guess. This past Tuesday, we just had Halloween, and I love the Halloween time. I think I love it so much because we weren't allowed to do anything with Halloween growing up. We weren't allowed to go trick-or-treating or have trick-or-treaters, and then in elementary school when all the kids got to dress up in their, in their costumes for that night, the most we could do was wear like a, if I had a sports t-shirt or a sports jersey, my parents were kind enough to let me wear that so I could say I was whatever sports player that I had. And one thing that I kind of like about this time frame is like the spooky things, like especially spooky creatures such as like, you know, the zombies and vampires, witches, ghosts, and Bigfoot. I like kind of reading about the sort of things. I like listening to podcasts. And the reason I like it, and it doesn't really scare me, is because I know those creatures are fake, except Bigfoot. I am a believer. He is out there. But that's one of the reasons I enjoy like diving into this sort of stuff, because I know it's fiction, and it's just fun to learn how they came into our culture and how they've gotten so big. However, there are some things that do scare me, such as snakes. That is one thing that does scare me. But there are a couple verses in the Bible that just absolutely scare me to death for two reasons. One, because it's in the Bible, so I 100% believe that it is true. And two, I have two young daughters that I'm responsible for raising. It's in Judges chapter 2, verses 8 and 10. It says, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the land he had been allocated at Timnath Sirah, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things. That, it, that he had done for Israel. One generation, just one generation after the previous one died, forgot about the Lord. You see, how I raise my daughters right now, how I disciple my daughters right now, is going to affect them in the future, and it's going to affect how they raise their children. So not to sound too somber, because there is some uplifting stuff about today. If this is your first time here, you picked a 100% excellent Sunday to be here. If this is three months from now, and you are watching this on YouTube, you picked an excellent uh, service to watch. Once a year, we do family dedication, and we're going to have families come up here later today. We have five families, and they are going, they wrote a dedication 
a promise that they're going to make to their child that they're going to disciple them. And so you guys get to witness it, and I think it's the best thing ever. But this morning, we're going to be in Colossians, a little bit of Colossians 2, a lot in Colossians 3. So if you have your Bibles, you can start flipping there, or if you want to look at the Version app, the event there, it's all in there. So while you're doing that, I am going to pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. I pray that you open up our hearts and our ears and our mind to hear what you have to say. It is in your son's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to start Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. It says, And now, just as you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. So, you cannot give what you do not have. What exactly does that mean? Well, it means if you are not continuing to follow Jesus, if your roots are not growing down in him, if your lives are not being built upon his foundation, you cannot and you will not be able to disciple. And so some of you may be thinking, oh, what's the big deal? My kid already knows about Jesus. He can figure it out on his own. Well, let me refer you back to Judges 2, where it took only one generation for the people to forget about what God has done. So you cannot give what you do not have. So if you are not reading your Bible, how are you going to teach whoever you're discipling what the Bible has to say? If you're not praying, how are you going to be able to pray for those people? If you are not serving or making a church a priority in your family, how can you teach them that church is more than just coming to a building once an hour, once a week? And it's more than that. It's showing up. It's building authentic relationships with hurting people. And you are struggling right alongside of them. And you are serving them through it all. See, you cannot disciple your children if you yourself are not growing in your own faith. That is like me training my daughters to do gymnastics. When I told my wife I was going to make a video like that, she was very concerned I was going to hurt myself. And to my own shock, I do have another video of me actually being able to do a somersault, so I was very happy with myself. But as you can see, me trying to do gymnastics would be terrible because I don't know what I'm doing. I am not learning the arts of gymnastics. I'm not going out of my way to train myself in gymnastics. So if I decided one day to be like, hey, Veronica, come over here. I'm going to teach you some gymnastics. Ultimately, what I'm going to do to her is she's just going to get injured if she copies what I attempted to do. 
So when it comes to discipleship, we have a, we have a big job, and it can be scary. But however, it is the most important job that you, can, you have, especially if you are a parent. And the good news is you have people in your life that I know are willing to help you. You have grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins. You have other people within the church who are willing to walk up beside you and help you. But more than that, God has already given you an instruction manual on how to train and disciple your children. So I'm going to jump into Colossians 3. Verses 1 and 3 says, Since you have been raised in new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. I love these two verses because I think they give some pretty solid advice. And it's something that we need to remember when we are discipling. Set your sights on the realities of heaven and think about the things of heaven. You see, heaven is a very real place. And I don't know when it comes to discipling and it comes to discipling your children what your goals are, but my ultimate goal when it comes to discipling is to have my children with me in heaven someday. And so when we keep our eyes on the realities of heaven, I think that helps us to remember what is really important and what is not so much important. Don't get me wrong. I do believe things like school matters, athletics and the arts, I think are important for your children's social development. But at the end of the day, they are not as important as the realities of heaven. Because when you make these things most important, I believe you are setting up a future for your child where they have to strive to be 100% excellent at everything they do and sacrifice anything and everything to make sure that they obtain whatever is most important to them. You see, your grades will not get you into heaven. However many career touchdowns you had in high school will not get you into heaven. You getting the main role in the play or the first chair in band will not get you into heaven. Only Jesus' sacrifice in accepting and believing in him can do that. And so when we keep our eyes on the realities of heaven, we are keeping the end goal in mind of our discipleship. And like I said earlier, mine is to make sure the best I can is to have my girls in heaven with me someday. Let's, let's continue. Verses 3 and 4 says, For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. How many of you know somebody whose children are their entire life. And I do not mean that in a positive light. Those kids get spoiled. They get whatever they want because they know their parents will bend and break to everything that they want. Or they have no respect for authority because their parents did not discipline them. 
Stacy and I, when we were at Boys Town, we had several kids exactly like this. And I will tell you that they were the hardest kids that we had to deal with. And I believe it's because their parents made them their entire life. And they wanted to keep the kid happy no matter what, no matter how. And I think this is what can happen when we don't put Christ first in everything that we do. You see, when we put Christ first, we have a new attitude in life about everything. When your loved one gets sick or they die or they leave you, we can take all that, all that hurt that is happening within us, we can get through it because we know that our life is secure in Christ and he fills that void with a love that cannot die. We're in Nebraska, so if a tornado comes through and goes straight through your house and leaves it just as toothpicks or you get that bad news from the doctor or the factory closes and you lose your job, you see through all these mixed emotions and frustrations, we know that we can be stable because of Christ. And he walks with us through that storm. And when death approaches and you wonder about the unknown, your life will be hand in hand with Christ and he will lead you home. You see, when you put Christ first, your life will change. And if this is how you are walking through life when bad things happen, imagine what you are teaching and you are showing your children through it all. Your attitude because of Christ will rub off with them. Our children today are going through a lot of stuff. I see it in our children's ministry. I see it in youth ministry. These kids have, I was going to say they do have more homework than I ever had, but I didn't do homework that often. So I don't know if it's the same or less, but there's a lot of homework. I know social media is more toxic today to that age group than it ever was when I was that age. We're dealing with mental health. We're dealing with outside influence, putting more and more pressure on them. And if you, as the main discipler in their life, is modeling what it looks like to put Christ first and follow him through everything that you are going through, I believe that your children will more likely do the same because that is what they are seeing through you. And here's the thing. If you do not have Christ first in your life, it is going to be extremely hard to put to death the sinful, earthly things that are lurking inside of you. Verse 5 and 7 through 7 says, So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, lust, or evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. I really want to zero in on verse 7. You used to do these things. I think when you're discipling whomever, the best thing that you can do is to use your past and be upfront and be honest about your past. If, they, if your child is struggling with a sin that you struggled with back then, 
open up with them, be kind, be gracious. Talk about it. Talk about the consequences that you have to face and how you are able to overcome that sin. And I think you can even go one step further if they're not even struggling with a sin that you've struggled with. When appropriate, I think you open up to them about that. Talk about your sins that you, before Jesus, after Jesus. You know, those sins that the world says is normal. Explain why it's a sin and how it hurt you. Because here's the simple truth. If we do not teach our children what God calls a sin, the world is going to teach them that it is perfectly okay to do as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. So we are in a fight against this world. And my question for you, especially parents, who do you want teaching your kids? You and what the Bible says or what the world says? So I encourage you to use your past, use the bad, use the ugly to show them what sin is, but more importantly, to show them that Jesus Christ can and will forgive you. When I was younger, this may come to a shock to some of you, when I was younger, I used to get very mad very easily, like within a split second, I would just, I don't know. But my dad played a very big role in helping me to not get so angry. He would say little silly things like, be the duck, let it roll off. Because I guess ducks have feathers where water just rolls off. I don't understand why he said that to me. And then he would say, be the willow tree, go with the flow. And I guess willow trees, it takes a lot of wind for them to break. I don't know, I was young. <laughs> yes, I still get angry. But I think it's safe to say it takes a lot for me to get extremely angry. Verses 8 through 11 says, But now it is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator. And become like him. In this life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. There used to be this guy, his name was Billy Sunday. He was a professional baseball player back in the day. And when I mean back in the day, it's like the 1800s and 1900s, not 1990s like kids say today. But on top of that, he was also an evangelist. And there's a story one day about a lady coming up to him and trying to rationalize her angry outburst. She said, there is nothing wrong with losing my temper. I blow up and then it's over. So does a shotgun, Sunday replied. And look at the damage it leaves behind. You see, it's okay to get angry especially with your children. I know I do with Veronica, not Coraline, because she's a perfect little angel right now. But what matters is how you respond within that anger. Some people think that discipleship is all about spiritual things. And if you're a parent, I'm a firm believer that discipleship also plays a role in mental, emotional, and physical health of your children. 
James says in chapter 1, verse 20, human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. And the anger spoken here is a thoughtless, uncontrolled temper that leads to rash and hurtful words. And here's the thing. It's normal to feel angry. It's the uncontrolled parental anger that can have serious effects on our children, negatively, including poor mental, emotional, and physical health. I found an article called Parental Anger Can Have Severe Effects on Children. I just want to read you part of that article. It says, Children may blame themselves if a parent is angry, and parental anger may cause a child to feel stressed, which can affect how their brain develops. Growing up around anger is a risk for mental illness later in life. Parental anger may result in emotional or verbal abuse toward a child. If a parent says hurtful things to a child out of anger, the child may think it is their fault and develop feelings of worthlessness. Children may respond to angry parents with negative behavior, rudeness, or aggression. Children may also become ill, withdraw from others, and have difficulty sleeping. If anger turns into physical violence, it could seriously harm a child. Shaking, hitting, or throwing a baby can cause severe injury, disability, or death. Punishing a child physically can also negatively affect them later in life, possibly resulting in antisocial behavior, aggression, low self-esteem, mental health issues, and negative relationships. A 2017 study of 350 homeless adults ages 50 and older found a link between childhood adversity, including physical and verbal abuse, and poor mental health. You see, my hope and my prayer is that no one in this building is going through that. But I say all of this because how we react to our children will have a lasting effect on them. And once again, Stacy and I had many kids at Boys Town that were facing this within their home. And so it is a very real thing that is happening. And so how do we get past this? How do we get past our anger issues or issues with rage or malicious behaviors or slander or dirty language? Well, we strip off our old sinful nature and everything that goes with it. And we learn about our creator and we become like him. So how do we do that? Well, we go back to Colossians 2, 6 through 7. And now, just as you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. And so Paul says that we need to put on our new nature. So what exactly does that mean to put on your new nature? Well, your conduct should match your faith. Plain and simple, if you are a Christian, you need to act like a Christian. And that means more than just good resolutions or good interactions. It means to take the right actions. This is a straightforward step that is as simple as putting on new clothes. You see, we must get rid of all evil practices and immorality. And once we do that, then we can commit to Christ's teachings and discipling of our children. So my question for you, my question that I want you to wrestle with, 
is have you made such a commitment to Christ? Are you remaining true to that commitment? Do you have any of the old sinful nature clothes still on that you need to take off and get rid of? And so how do we get here? How do we get over that sin that we are struggling to overcome? How do we see that clothes, those sinful nature clothes that we are still wearing, that we realize that if we really want to disciple, we have to take them off? How do we get to the point where we follow Jesus with everything that we have and our roots are growing down on him and we are building our lives upon his foundation? Well, I believe the answer is right there in verse 11. Christ is all that matters. And until we realize that Christ is all that matters, we are going to keep that sinful clothing on. Until we realize that Christ is all that matters, we are going to have a hard time letting go of that sin. We are going to have a hard time following him. It's going to be tough to let our roots grow down into him. It's going to be tough to build upon his foundation. And we are not going to be able to disciple our children. Paul writes in Philippians 1, 9 and 10, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. So what really matters? To know and live for Christ. And once we do that, once we understand what really matters, once we know Christ once we experience the resurrected Son of God, I say, watch out, world, because amazing things are about to happen. Verses 12 through 15 says, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and give anyone who offend, forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. So once we realize what really matters and once we start following Jesus, here's some good news for you who like to shop. God is telling you that you get to go on a shopping spree because you just took off all the clothes of your sinful nature. And now, because those clothes are gone, you have to go get new clothes because he says you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So what does this have to do with discipleship? Well, I think it has everything to do with discipleship. Because now you have these new clothes on you, so you get to walk down the runway of your life, and you get to model these new clothes that you are wearing to your friends, to your family, and to your children. You see, I'm not good at math, so I'm making up a number. But I am a firm believer that at least 80% of all discipleship is caught 
not taught. And I have a story that goes with that that just happened to me on Wednesday. I was driving Veronica somewhere in the sky. I say I don't get angry very easily, but if you're a terrible driver, that gets me angry. This guy was driving right in front of us. He was going super slow, and it's not like he was going 29 in a 30. He was going like 15 in a 30, and he stops at a red light that he could have easily made, and I had to turn right, so I had to wait for him, and evidently, I mumbled under my breath, nothing negative. Don't worry about that. I said, come on, man, or come on, dude. I said, come on, dude, because next thing I hear is Veronica in the back seat saying, come on, dude. And I'm like, caught, not taught. I'm, I'm catching that. I don't like that she's getting to the point she can repeat me. So I want you to imagine with me if your children see you being tenderhearted, kind, living a life of humility, displaying gentleness, and being patience. Imagine if your children see your whole life wrapped in the love, and they see the peace that only comes from Christ living in your heart, ruling your life, you would be setting up your kids for spiritual success. But here's the thing. When we exercise these traits, the traits of compassion and kindness and humility, we are going to face conflict because surprisingly, well, not surprisingly, not everybody plays by the same rules. Not all Christians, myself included, always show the self-restraint needed in conflict. And so how do we deal with this? How do we live as God wants us to live? When we are hurt by others or our gracious efforts are rebuked, we must have an umpire inside of our head saying, peace, or for me, I still have my dad going, be the duck. And so we need to call a timeout on our passions and our reactions because those usually get us in trouble. And we need to think about the peace that God has won us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul does not teach peace at any price. Instead, he encourages believers to embrace God's peace and be under his control as we make the courageous moral decisions for the truth and to do what is right. And how do we allow this love and this peace of Jesus that Paul is talking about to come into our life and rule over it? I think Paul, once again, Paul knows what he's doing. I think he hits the nail on the head at the end of verse 15 when he says, always be thankful. You see, thankfulness puts everything, all that we have, in the right perspective. You see, God has given us what we need for service and comfort and expression and even recreation. And so when we're greedy or we're discontent, it really signals an attitude to God saying, I'm not getting much of a bargain here, God. You see, thankful people can worship wholeheartedly and gratitude opens our hearts to God's peace and enables us to love. And discontented people are constantly calculating what is wrong with their life. So I have a challenge for you. And it's kind of a long challenge, so I'm doing a little family ministry plug. It's going to be in the family ministry newsletter that will be coming out later this week. And if you're not on that list, talk to me. I'll get you on the list. 
And so check out the family faith challenge section. But here it is. I want you as a family or with your small group or if you just have a couple people that, you're, that you guys connect with, I want you to make a list of everything that you have. Things like relationships, memories, abilities, family, and even material possessions. And then use that inventory for prayers of gratitude and thankfulness. Hmm, I wonder what's coming up later this month. What giant holiday that we are all thankful for. What a perfect thing to do with your family. Anyway, pick a day as a family, one day a week. I know you're all busy, and it doesn't have to be an hour of you guys doing this together, but I just want you to quit rushing. I want you guys to take time to reflect on reasons for thankfulness and celebrate God's goodness in your life. You see, if you do all of this, I think it leads right into what Paul says in verse 16. Let the message about Christ and all of its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Parents, if you have let the message about Christ fill your lives, if you, you have to let the message of Christ fill your life if you want to disciple your children. And when we do that, you are going to have a home where you are teaching each other, where you're counseling each other. I mean, parents to kids, kids to parents. You guys are going to sing. You're going to pray. You're going to have Bible readings. You're going to have God moments. You're going to make allowances for each other's faults. And you're going to be able to forgive. And you guys are going to be clothed in tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And I think that would be a great and awesome home to be a part of. But why should we strive for this? Verse 17, because whatever you do or say, do it as a representative, representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Because every single thing we do should be for the glory of God. And this is not the only place it says that. On our, like I said, this is a special Sunday, so on our quote-unquote normal Sundays, we are going through 1 Corinthians, and so I'm going to give you a little, uh, little taste of 1 Corinthians 10.31. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And I cannot think of a better place for parents to represent Christ than inside of their home. And I urge you, I pray, and I hope that this is none of you, but I've heard too many stories of parents being two-faced, where when they're in public or they're at church, they look like the perfect parent, but then when they're at home, for lack of a better word, they are bullies to their parents or to their children. You see, let the message about Christ and all of its richness fill your life. Now, you might have just sat through all this and you're like, oh, I don't have kids or my kids are at home. What does this have to do with me? And my response to that is everything. Because everything that we just talked about applies to you if you are a Christian. Because if you are a Christian, you are supposed to represent Christ in everything you say, everything you do, and everywhere you go. And... People look at you. People watch you. 
There are people in here that are not related to families who are intentionally playing a role in discipling someone else's kids. That family may have come up to them and said, my kid loves you, I see you, can you help us disciple our children? And so there are some of you who are, in fact, doing that. There are some of you who are unintentionally discipling other people's children. The parents did not come up to you and ask, but you are playing an active role in their life. I know for me, or for my daughter, Veronica, she has someone in this church that she absolutely loves and adores, and that person is Bobby Hartshorn. And if I went up to Veronica, or anyone went up to Veronica, and you asked her, why do you love Bobby? Her response would be, because... But I am going to tell you why Veronica loves Bobby. And I think Bobby wants me to, would want me to put this little asterisk. This is not about Bobby. This is about God and what God is doing in Bobby's life. Veronica loves Bobby because Bobby has stripped off her old sinful nature. And she has clothed herself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and the love and peace that only comes from Christ and Veronica feels that when she is around Bobby because Bobby represents Jesus in everything that she does and says, and it has attracted a three-year-old girl who wants to spend time with her. And for some of you, you have absolutely positively no idea whatsoever that you are in the middle of discipling somebody. There may be someone in your life that you just, the most you do is you say, hi, and that's about it. But for whatever reason, that person looks at you as a spiritual mother or father or aunt or uncle. And you kind of question, why do, that, do they feel that way with me? It's because you let your roots grow down into Jesus. And you let your life be built upon his message in all of its richness. It has filled your life. And you realize that whatever you do or say... You are representing the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, discipling your children will be the most challenging yet rewarding adventure you will ever be a part of. However, you are not alone in this. Like I said earlier, you have this. Jesus has given you what you need to be able to disciple your children. And the next resource is you have the church. Church, parents need our help. I know I need your help. I am so thankful for what Bobby is doing with Veronica. These families want you to help them. Like I said earlier, if this is the first time you're here, you picked an excellent Sunday to be a part of that, or be a part here. I can't, tongue twisted, you know how it is. And so I am going to ask the five families to head up here. And as they are doing that, we're going to, I'm going to explain family dedication. I know some churches do uh, infant baptism and not family dedication. We do not do infant baptism. And the reason we do not do infant baptism is that it's not in the Bible. So we don't do it. And some of you may be thinking... Well, what is my role in family dedication? Well, your role is to sit here and be a witness to the families who are about 
ready to make a dedication to their child. And you guys can come on up. You are here to serve as a witness, and you are here to keep us accountable for what we are saying to our children. Hello. Hello, Westway. I'm Tiffany, and this is Dakota. And I also have Alex and Casey, my daughter and son, who have previously been dedicated. So now it's Dakota's turn. So I'll read a little uh, letter that I put together for Dakota. To my youngest son, Dakota Stone, I promise to teach you about the Lord and to make your environment accessible to learning about God and Jesus. Deep breaths. Okay. You will learn that God created the earth and all the people in it. People are born with the natural ability to sin. Sin is deliberately making a bad choice. God sent his one and only son to save us from our sin. We accept Jesus as our savior. We are saved and then we live in a new way that is pleasing to God. We can show the world that we are saved and have been created new by getting baptized. These are examples of the life talks we will continue to have as you grow. I am truly blessed to have the opportunity to teach you and your siblings about the amazing love of God. I will share with you the power of your thoughts and by having positive thinking and reading your Bible to grow in wisdom, you will build a relationship with God. Romans 12.2 says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You three together will learn alongside each other and share God's love to others through your actions. Philippians 1.9-10 says, I pray that you, your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. <clears throat> For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless life, blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. I will continue to encourage you so that you can encourage each other to stay in the word and learn more about God and Jesus. And this is one of my favorite ones, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk with them when you are home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. <clears throat> Write them on the doorsteps of your house and on your gates. <clears throat> I am motivated to plant the seed of hunger for the Lord in such a way that you will want to teach your children about the good news of Christ. Isaiah 44.3 says, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. I am grateful to all the people here at Westway who will be coming alongside my children and supporting their growth. Alex, Casey, and Dakota, I love you so much, and together we will learn and grow in relationship with the Lord.
sweet, joyful jubilee. You're such a gift to us and every other person you will ever encounter. We promise to celebrate that always and tell anyone who will listen that redemption really is possible. We love you with every fiber of our being and know that God loves you all the more. So we promise to not only tell you about God's love for you, but also teach you what love look like by how we love you. We love each other as your parents and how we love the people around us. We promise to show you what it means to choose to walk with Jesus every day, how to be consistent and progressing in a relationship with God, never striving for perfection, but always showing you how to give acceptance and grace by the way we accept and give grace to others. We trust God's plan for us as your parents, and we trust in his vision for us and our family. So we promise to instruct you in the ways you are meant to go, as the proverb states, so that you will know you belong to the Lord and you can trust he has created you on purpose for a very specific purpose. We pray you accept the Holy Spirit's guidance upon your life, always knowing and understanding how much he loves you, how much we love you, and how much your community around you loves you. Coraline, I thank God every day that he made me your dad. I'm excited to watch you grow into the woman that God has made you to be. There are going to be difficulties in this life, but I promise that I will be here for you during those times. To help you get through life, I want to promise you a few things. I promise that I will continue to follow Jesus, and I will let my roots grow down into him and let my life be built on him so I can disciple you the best I can. The greatest gift that I can give you is to have a rock-solid marriage to your mom. Ephesians 5.25 says, For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. I promise to love your mom this way. Philippians 1.10 says, For I want you to understand what really matters, so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. I promise to raise you in a way that you will understand what really matters. Coraline, I promise that I will love you with unconditional love. I know for a fact that we will get upset at each other, but I will never stop loving you, and I will show you love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness. I am looking forward to the twists and turns that life will bring as your mom and I are raising you, because I know Christ will be at the center of this family, and we will be able to get through everything this life throws at us because of Christ's love and his peace. Coraline, my hope for you is that you believe who you are in God and do not believe the lies that the world will constantly try to convince you are true. God has a specific plan and purpose for you, and he has created you fearfully and wonderfully. You are a child of God and a gift from him. When there are hard times, I want you to know that you do not have to go through it alone. My prayer for you is that you rely on the people God has put in your life, but most importantly, rely on him. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. As you grow up and develop your own relationship with Christ, my hope for you comes from Philippians 2, 1 through 8. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Coraline, I know you are only three months old, but before you know it, you'll be graduating high school. Until then, my hope for you is that you desire to find out who you are in Christ and let those truths define who you are. I hope you know you have many adults in your life who want to stand by you and be there for you no matter what happens. I hope you surround yourself with a community of friends who will challenge you in your faith and keep you accountable. I also hope you have the desire to share about your relationship with Jesus with those who don't have a relationship with Jesus. Your dad and I have a major role in order for these hopes and prayers to happen. We will continue to pray for you and teach you how to pray. We will share God's word with you and teach you how to learn these truths for yourself. We will make sure you know you are a gift and a reward from God. We will teach you how to love and serve others as well as be respectful, kind, and caring. Most of the time you will not like it, but we will discipline you when needed so you can understand right from wrong as well as learn from your mistakes. I pray you look back and understand we discipline you because we love and care about you. We love you very much, Coraline, and you are so, we are so thankful that God blessed us and trusted us with you and your sister. Archer, when I look at you, the only thing I see is perfection. My heart aches with the amount of love there is for you in there. My sweet boy, you're going to do amazing things in your life, and I will push you every step of the way. God blessed me with you in a time when he knew I needed a reminder that he was still there for me. After finding out I was pregnant at such a young age, I refused to actually admit that I was carrying you for the first part of my pregnancy. It wasn't until God showed me why I was chosen to be your mom that you quickly became my whole world. I've watched my generation slowly lose faith and become disconnected with God. I now have the opportunity to build a foundation for you to build off of in your own faith. Proverbs 22.6 says, Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. I want to show you what living through Christ does for you as a person, and I want to continue. I want you to continue to pass it on to your children and their children and so on. As you grow, I hope I can continue to be a safe place for you. We can work together through life with God holding our hands. I aspire to be the best mom for you. God's love for you is unconditional as well as mine, and I can't wait to grow up with you. My dear Amarissa, right now you are so small and so new to this world. In just 18 short years, you will be an adult and getting ready to go out on your own. I look forward to watching you become a faithful, strong, hardworking young woman who seeks to honor God and be a blessing to others. I hope to see you grow as a young woman of faith who puts her trust in God and commits her way to the Lord, as Psalm 37.5 says. I pray Colossians 3.17 is influential over your life. Everything you say and everything you do, you do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father. I pray your light will shine before men in such a way that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven, as Matthew 5.16 says. I commit myself to ever pursuing my relationship with Christ, so you have a role model of a strong, Christ-following woman in your life. Your dad and I commit to seeking Christ daily in our lives and raising you in a home where God is first in everything. We will be diligent in raising you in a house that belongs to the Lord, permeating our lives with God's word, and providing a loving home with many opportunities for you to learn about him.
My beautiful Amarissa, you have only been on this earth for the blink of an eye and are already my greatest joy. My hope for you is that you grow up showing beauty and grace to all lives that you touch. I hope that your faith carries you through life to be an amazing young woman. This world is ever becoming complicated, and I pray that you put your faith in God and grow to become a strong, faithful woman. I pray that you always follow Christ in every decision that you make. She is clothed with strength and dignity, and she laughs without fear of the future. Proverbs 31:25. I want you to not fear the future, but to one day enjoy the kingdom of heaven. I hope to look back upon your life and one day know that you loved with all your heart and saw God in every moment. I'm committing my life to Christ and always working to strengthen that relationship. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend upon your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. I want to be a strong father and provide every opportunity to seek and learn about Christ and to honor God every day. Your mom and I commit to providing a home where you never have to question whether you are loved. You will always know that God loves you, your mom loves you, and I love you for all eternity. I am going to pray over these families, but before I do that, I would like to invite you up. If you have a connection with one of these families, if you don't have a connection with one of these families, but you still want to pray for them, you can come up here. You can put your arm on them. You can reach out, whatever you are comfortable with doing. Father, I thank you for families. I thank you for the five families up here who just said that their dedication over their child. I thank you that they want to raise their children in a way that brings you glory and honor. At the same time, Father, I pray for the parents. I pray that they're, they make it a priority to have their roots grow down in you, that they build that, their own life upon your foundation so that they are able to disciple their children. Lord, I pray that they turn to you when things get hard with their children. I pray that they remember the peace and the love that you, you bring. Father, bless them on their journey. It is in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.